Welcome to the Purple Political Breakdown. So what do we normally do when we engage with someone else? We have, we're like in a car, we have gas and we have brakes. So what most people do is they don't slam on the brakes, they slam on the gas in any interpersonal conflict, problem solving thing. I'm just gonna tell you you're wrong. I'm gonna give you more information. I'm gonna give you more facts. I'm gonna push you, I'm gonna bully you. I'm gonna entice you, I'm gonna persuade you. All that's gas. What we need to do is put on the brakes. Step back a minute. What the heck is happening here? Why is it happening? What are the interests somebody's got and what do they want? Do you want a great website like this? This is my podcast website where I direct the audience to come to watch the content, listen to the content, read the blogs, and much, much more. If you want to have your own customizable podcast website, then join my affiliate link in my description to sign up for something called PodPage, and they can help you customize an easy podcast website for your personal podcast. Sign up to get a discount now. Again, use the link in my description to join PodPage now. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Riddell Lewis. We're back here on the podcast for episode number 54. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode per usual. If you want to support the podcast, make sure you guys head over to the website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com. Now, today we're going to be talking about conflict resolution. We're going to be talking about some key techniques you can gain from the potential, you know, tense conversations or situations you may be in, which is common if you're in my space where political debate, political discussion, political discourse can be very tenuous. So with that said, we're going to talk about some of the techniques to kind of help you navigate that. In order to do that, I have a great guest for today's episode. Um... Before I even say your name, can you pronounce it for me so I don't say it incorrectly? Sure. Hesha Abrams. Hesha Abrams. Uh, so, Hesha, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell them what you're about. Tell them what you do. Uh, sure. I'm a professional peacemaker. I have worked with uh, Google and Amazon and IBM and Verizon and NVIDIA. I settled the case over the ownership of the secret recipe for Pepsi. So I've been doing this a long time, and I understand in the trenches of human conflict how people tick, how do you get things done, because isn't that the key? How do you get them done? It's not about this touchy-feely kumbaya, everyone should behave nicely, because people don't behave nicely. So how do you protect yourself? How do you get what you need? How do you resolve stuff before it becomes a problem? And that's my deal, and that's why I wrote this book all about it. Um, and what is the book called for people to know? Uh, Holding the Calm, The Secret to Resolving Conflict and Diffusing Tension. All right, excellent. Uh, this is a very important thing because although we talk about a lot on my podcast here on the, the value of, you know, having conversations, having discussions, gaining perspective, gaining experience, to be fair, some of the techniques on how to do that for some people is harder than others. Obviously, I know that. So you could definitely gain some important techniques to handle these these situations that will be very tense, like I said earlier, be very difficult in general. Obviously, emotions probably are going to run high because they usually do. So we're going to dive into all of that, of course. And uh, if you are listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube, and you want to watch the full version, feel free to go to Roku.tv. And if you're listening on the podcast, 
rated five stars. I do appreciate you, of course. So to start it off, I like the the audience to really get to know the guest a little bit. Um, and these are kind of like starter questions in terms of kind of figure out what the picture is or what is the picture of the individual that is speaking because I reinforce the aspect that no matter who you are, no matter what your identity is, ideology, perspective is on this podcast, the goal is to come with a solution. So the more people realize, hey, man, he's talking to Democrat, atheist, liberal, whatever, but they're actually making sense. Maybe that doesn't matter as much as I think. Then um, then I can really kind of be willing to engage with other people a little bit more so in the future. So start off. I'm going to start off by asking you, do you have a political affiliation or political identity you abide by? You know, I don't. Um, I uh, have leaned Democratic. I've leaned Republican before the Republicans, in my mind, you know, lost their minds. Um, so I tend to be a little more conservative, but uh, conservative fiscally, but more socially liberal which is what I think probably 80% of Americans are. We're in sort of the unwashed middle and the edges used to be 10% on either side and they were kind of crazy. And now each 10% has reached up and grabbed another 10% down. So you got 20% of crazies on either side and 60% in the middle of normal people that want to have a conversation about, well, I think about this is a little different than you or you, or you prioritize this and this issue is more important. But we've gotten to where we have demonized anybody who has an opinion different from us, which just means we're having another civil war and we're ripping ourselves apart, which is a very bad thing. Um, Honestly, in terms of the political discourse that you're referring to, I mean, we've talked about it plenty. Yeah, there's a, the extremes on both sides are getting more and more extreme, more and more hateful, more and more spiteful. And it's not serving in the best interests of the country, which is what we all should kind of strive for at the end of the day. That is what's important. And just like you said, some of these uh, Trumpy Republicans are getting a little, a little too crazy, maybe a lot of too crazy. I mean, yeah. people on the left, very similar on the on the on the radical side, are also getting crazy. So we definitely need to come together a little bit better in terms of a political discourse. Um, but with that said. Do you believe that a, another party or another kind of a more moderate identity would be beneficial to discourse in the long haul, you know, more so than conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican? Technically, there is third parties, but they don't really have are power. And when people hear centrist or moderate, they just think you don't have an opinion. Do you think that empowerment of this kind of more nuanced I um I identity would be helpful to mediate discourse. You know it would, but then again, I want chocolate cake to not be fattening, and I don't think I'm going to get my wish, and I don't think you're going to get your wish. That's part of the problem. So, um, how do we handle this? And I think that the moderate middle needs to take control over our crazies. The Republican Party has gone insane, and the reason it's happened is because the moderate, normal, rational people within the Republican Party have allowed their crazies to be the inmates running the asylum. And it has to get controlled over there. On the Democratic side, you've seen more restraint, which is really quite interesting. 
But there's also some level of extreme. And the Republic, the Democratic Party has done a much better job of reining in their extreme edges. And maybe it's because it just in, in comparison to the Republicans, it's easy to not be the crazies, you know? And the thing is, the people that are on the most extreme have just an extreme agenda. You know, you've got people in the Islamic world that want to take Arabic populations back into the 11th century. They want to destroy women's rights. They want to destroy anything that is not their own view. But that's not the view of the majority of the people. It's just the loudest voices right now. And that's the problem between social media and and the way our attention span has shrunk to be that of, you know, mice, everything becomes the loudest voice, the most likes, the most difficult. And my antidote to that is be the fricking grown up in the room. That's the only antidote. We are not going to change people, you know, like this Matt Getz guy um, or, you know, the, the really the extreme crazy MAGA people in Congress because they're not doing it because it's logical or rational or thoughtful. They're doing it because they want attention. And we've learned through our social media, people get attention when they behave badly. So let's not give them any attention. Let's not care what they have to say. And let's let the middle take back our country. Very interesting perspective. So let's dive into some ways that you could potentially do that and uh, handle these circumstances, these situations, of course. Um, and if anybody's listening, like you've heard already, if you guys want to get the techniques for yourself, you can uh, make sure to check Hesh's uh, book out. Her link will be in the description, and obviously her information will be on my website where you can check all that out, of course. Are you enjoying today's podcast episode? I really hope you do. And I really hope you enjoy the fact that I have an amazing guest talking with me and having this great discussion. If you, as an individual, personally have your own podcast and maybe you want to have great guests on your podcast as well, well, I got a deal for you. In my description, there is a link to something called Podmatch. Make sure to join that link through my affiliate link so you can sign up to get matched up with other podcast hosts and podcast guests so you make sure you are never missing an episode without a productive guest to have an amazing conversation with. Podmatch is similar to any other kind of matching site for the most part. And it's super easy you, just $6 a month, you can have a guest for each and every podcast episode that is tailored to your specific topic. So again, join the link in my description and join Podmatch now. So let's start off with this first question. How do you find a solution when a solution seems impossible? Yeah, yeah. So the reason I wrote this book is I put 20 techniques in 20 chapters, each one with sent, uh, sentence stems and stories and way to get something done. So let's start with a story, okay? Uh, I heard this one on NPR's Hidden Brain. There was a couch company and they were selling $20,000 couches. So just imagine people that can afford a $20,000 customized couch. You pick the material, you pick the piping, you pick the length, the size, the depth, everything that you want, right? And they would have people spend hours designing it online. And at the point of sale, didn't complete the sale. Company was perplexed. 
So what do we normally do when we engage with someone else? We have, we're like in a car, we have gas and we have brakes. So what most people do is they don't slam on the brakes, they slam on the gas in any interpersonal conflict, problem solving thing. I'm just gonna tell you you're wrong. I'm gonna give you more information. I'm gonna give you more facts. I'm gonna push you, I'm gonna bully you. I'm gonna entice you, I'm gonna persuade you. All that's gas. What we need to do is put on the brakes, step back a minute. What the heck is happening here? Why is it happening? What are the interests somebody's got and what do they want? So this couch company put on the gas like everyone else does. More sales, more promotions, more ideas about how to sell. Didn't do anything. Finally, somebody was smart enough to say, let's step back, put the gas on. I mean, the brake on for just a moment. And then what happened is they hired somebody to interview people, to talk to them. Why did you not complete the sale? And you want to know what the number one reason was? Drum roll, please. These people who could afford a $20,000 couch didn't know what to do with the old couch. Solution easy now, right? When you buy the new one, we'll take away the old one and we'll give you a donation to charity. Sales skyrocketed. But it was only because they took the time to step back and hold the calm and figure out what the heck is going on. That is how you begin to find solutions to problems. I walk into cases all the time where someone says, give me $100 million, and a defendant will say, here's 100000 go pound sand. How do I get that settled? It's not because I'm smarter, or I teach you, or I convince you that you're in error, or that you're dumb. Listen, everyone who's listening here, has it ever worked to ever tell anybody, oh, you're dumb, I'm smarter than you. Let me explain to you how it works, and then you'll like me, value me, appreciate me, right? And everyone listening here should be laughing because that's how it works. And yet that's what we do. It's so stupid. You step back, you hold the calm, you diagnose. You know, there's a bomb in the town square. That guy waddles out in his Michelin suit. He doesn't just start cutting stuff. He looks, he diagnoses. Is it a pressure switch? Is it a chemical gauge? Is it a remote control? What is it? Once you can figure that out, Honestly, I tell you, people aren't that complicated. You can figure out what to do and how to do it. And that's some of the tricks, 30 years of doing this, that I've written in my book. All right, excellent. Uh, that's a very good uh, and very simple way to kind of navigate these situations. Uh, I do think sometimes people lose the value of, you know, taking time to think through the issue at hand and self-reflection, of course. Um, I can name a number of times um, personally when I have an issue that is beyond the plan that I orchestrated. It was kind of uh, making things more difficult than it had to be. So instead of going like, oh, man, I got to do all these things, I took some time. Everybody got away, went away, went, everything silent and just started to think, OK, how can I fix what is going on currently? Um, and sure, you may not be the smartest or maybe the most analytical but at the very least it's important to know that you with a clear mind is still better than you with a stressed out mind a mm -hmm. you know overthinking mind so that is very important for you as an individual of course so in a situation where an individual is potentially in a 
um, you know, heated debate politically. Let's just say someone who's on the right is on a heated uh, debate with their family and there are a bunch of people on the left and they don't know how to connect with them in that situation. They don't know how to kind of bridge the, the, the gap. They just keep on yelling back at each other. I'm right. You're right. How would you kind of explain that person or how would you um, advise that person to deal with that situation? So I love that. On my website, holdingthecalm.com, I have a bunch of one-minute videos on how to handle things. And last, I think it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, I don't remember now, I was asked that question. So I actually did a little one-minute video on how you do that. And this is the secret. It's a hot dinner table. There's a lot of stuff going on. Your crazy uncle likes to poke and stir the pot and say stuff that just ticks you off. Or it's a tough brother-in-law or sister-in-law who's just clueless that what they're saying is so offensive or so obnoxious, and it takes over the table. There's no talking when that happens. And this is the reason why. This is sort of a neuroscience for dummies little beginning. We all have something called an amygdala. It's two small kidney-shaped organs deep in the back of our brain, right above the brain stem. It's often called the reptilian brain. Every single human being has it. It's our fight, flight, or freeze response. And what happens is you see that thing in the road, boom, in a nanosecond, which is a billionth of a second, your brain decides whether it's food, a snake, or a stick. We do that with each other as humans. Once you get activated, your amygdala goes, mm, I'm in charge. And the prefrontal cortex, which is the part right behind your forehead, dims. Because right now, if it's a snake, you got to run, or a saber-toothed tiger, you got to run. Well, that's cool. Some kind of funny background just happened. Did you do that? I didn't do anything. I don't lie. I didn't do that either. I don't know how that happened. All of a sudden, fireworks went up behind my head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was funny. I don't know what that was. Um, anyway, amygdala. So uh, what happens is that people stop thinking. They get something called ocular occlusion and auditory exclusion. That means your ears shut down and your eyes shut down. And so what happens is you trying to talk to someone logical to their brain is just dumb. So what you've got to do is calm the amygdala down. So here's the trick. You come at me and say something ridiculous or offensive or you're pot stirring. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to say, you know what I admire about you? And guess what? You don't say another word. You're like, moi? I want to hear what you have to say. You literally don't say another word. And now I say something like your enthusiasm your determination, your passion, your intellect, your curiosity, your understanding. I come up with anything I want and I can use any verb I want. So now you have power. You know what I admire about you? You know what I like about you? You know what I love about you? You know what I appreciate about you? You know what I uh, respect about you? Choose your verb, whatever verb you want. doesn't make a difference. And then you say something that's true. Your passion, your understanding, your commitment, your determination, it stops the conversation cold. 
And then the other person literally sits back like a fish with their mouth just goes, blah, 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 blah. They don't know what to say to it. They don't know what to do to it. And all of a sudden in that situation, who's got the power? The loud mouth arguing over something stupid or the person that changed the entire tone of the conversation? And you'll find people around you will go, you go, well done. That's excellent. It's a great trick. Yeah, and without knowing, obviously, you know, I know that conversations like these, when I do them, like, on my podcast, they're, for the most part, pretty civil, and we don't really have, because we're all trying to kind of find a a path forward, find a, a similar goal, a compromise, but I'm also in spaces that are not as serious, you know, whether it's like a sports debate or something like that. And you could tell when people are in that fight or flight mode, you could tell because those people are immediately on the defensive. They're immediately kind of like, oh, I'm ready to scream back the moment he stops talking, all that stuff. And it's so <laughs> and it's so noticeable. And based on what you said, it just it's such a powerful technique to realize okay, this person's in this mode now. So I could either, you know, handle it better to prevent him from going crazy. Because right now he's in that mode. He's not going to listen to me. He's not going to engage with me. It's just who yells louder at this point? You know, who is the most right at this point? There's not their conversation is not moving forward at all. So helping people realize when people are in that mode is extremely valuable for them to get get past that and really try to bring the conversation back to what it's meant to be, whether it's, you know, just some fun loving conversation about a topic or if it's some conversation meant to push a specific goal forward at that particular time. So that's that's extremely valuable. And I think that helping people realize what those things are are essential. So with that said, when these individuals, let's say they're already in their um, fight or flight mode. They're extremely emotional. They're extre their feelings are high. They they are very very much willing or very much waiting to pounce on you when given the chance. In that situation, even though you're calm and go like, okay, maybe I need to take a step back, but this guy just or this girl just won't stop. They they're not listening to me. How do you get them from that mode and put them back in a place of, you know? calmness and um you know ready to kind of re-engage with the conversation well the one technique is the one we just discussed when you say what i admire about you what i respect about you because it stops people dead in their tracks a second way of doing it is a technique i have called vux v-u-c-s validate understand clarify summarize the first thing is to validate somebody so if you're running hot I'm going to name the emotion. You seem really angry. I'm not angry. I'm frustrated. Okay. You seem really frustrated. All you're doing is seeing the person. So they feel seen and heard. And then you say, tell me more. That's how they start to slowly come down. People yell and scream when they're not feeling heard and they're not feeling seen. And they may not have a very good skill set. And they may be emotionally immature. And they may be tired, hungry, fed up, exhausted. So, and what I'd say to all of our listeners, have you ever been in pain 
you wrecked your ankle, you tore your shoulder, you did something, first couple of days, you're fine. But as the pain drags on, you get more and more cranky, more and more aggravated, more and more annoyed. Your, your leash, your wick is shorter. So it, I get reactive too. I'm a human being just like everyone else. But I tend to look at people who run hot and say, I have no idea what's going on in their life. Who just stole money from them? Are they trying to kick a drug habit? Does somebody have cancer? Did they just get fired? Are they being bullied at school? Is there a sexual harassment issue happening? Are they in physical pain? Are they miserable? People act like that because all of that is true. And I'm not excusing bad behavior. I'm not. I'm saying there's still standards of behavior and how things have to be met. But how do I help move somebody through that? And it's by seeing them, by hearing them, and then creating boundaries and cages around it. And that's some of the techniques that I've already discussed. And I told you in the book, I got a bunch of them for people. And I wrote this book simple. It's a two-hour read. It's like 13, 14 bucks on Amazon. I did it purposely so it'd be cheap, so it'd be easy and accessible for people to get it and then say, okay, I can try this. Here's another interesting one where everything's hot. I start using we, our, us, plural pronouns instead of I or you. I or you are triggering of the amygdala. We are tribal people, all human beings. Yay, Longhorns. Yay, I'm a Cubs fan. Yay, I'm a Steelers fan. Doesn't make any difference. We all lump onto groups of some kind. So you trigger into that. There's a problem here. How are we going to solve it? Even though what I want to say is you made a hot mess of this. You screwed up. How are you going to fix it? Well, all that's going to do is trigger your amygdala and I can't get a doggone thing done. But if I say, we have a problem. How are we going to fix it? How are we going to take care of it? You calm down. And eventually the majority of people will say, it's my responsibility, I screwed up, I need to fix more of it. Even if they don't, what difference does it make? Your end goal is to get something done and to get it taken care of. That's why I wrote this book, because these are professional techniques that, you know, I walk into a hard situation. How do we get people to do it? Uh, so a lot of the things that you're talking about are extremely useful techniques. I think, I mean, we've both definitely recognized that, of course. So it does seem the the techniques themselves are especially strong when there's a foundational relationship there, whether that's familial, whether that's friends, even a work relationship is a foundation that you can build upon or there's a needed companionship to an extent to kind of move things forward. And there is a, at least a more willing nature on the other end if the, you use the proper techniques to go like, okay, maybe I'm doing too much at this particular circumstance. In the situations, especially this in um, situations with content, uh, contentious topics, right, where there's just a bunch of random people who have maybe an innate negative bias against the in other individual. Like, like we could put up an example. Let's say it's a college campus and uh, it's a liberal school. Uh, I, this actually example hits home because I did go to a liberal school and I had a friend that was Republican. So he's Republican liberal school and in situations when a contentious topic is brought up maybe let's just say something regarding donald trump or maybe something regarding um abortion or something 
And obviously, the before either side, mostly the Republican speaks, they go, a lot of the people that are liberal are already in the fight or flight mode before they even say anything. And yes. even if, if they try to go like, hey, man, I hear you and all that, try to appeal to them, they're like, I don't care. So in those situations, um, how do you think it would be best for like the Republican in that situation or just someone that is automatically labeled in a negative light deal with these uh, confrontational circumstances? Well, that's actually very insightful of you, the way you're talking about it. So let's let's break that down into a couple of different components. One is, yes, it's easier if there's a, a basis of a relationship that everybody values because then that acts as a governor on you to pull back a little. I can't say that you're a freaking idiot. If we're in a relationship, it's easier for people to do that online, social media, and be nastier with each other. But relationships are still destroyed. People will still say you're a freaking idiot, even with relationships. And all the science, neuroscience and psychological behavioral science has shown you can create a relationship with somebody in a minute, literally. One of the best techniques for that is compliments. Uh, uh, Riddell, that is a really professional looking suit. I'm impressed. Takes two seconds. Now you gotta be careful because for guys, you shouldn't say to a girl, that's a pretty dress because there's a boundary for women and, and sexuality and sexual assault. And so women are a little bit more on edge and men used to compliment clothing and women got very offended by that. Like, look at my brain, not at my dress, right? So I can say that to you because I knew you wouldn't have a problem with it, but you have to be smart. What are you complimenting them on? You know, let's say you said to someone, my, you speak eloquently. That seems a little rude. But instead, if you said, my, you speak so thoughtfully, I was impressed. It's very easy. Where are they? Are they getting smacked or are they getting fed out of your hand? So you, in order to do that, that means I have to see you. Chapter one of my book is speak into the ears that are hearing you. That's literally the title of chapter one. Why would I treat everyone the same? If you're more of a, Rendell, you're more of an introvert than an extrovert. I would speak to you that way. If I have an extrovert, I'm going to speak to them more that way. If I have a detail person versus a big picture person, if I have a thinking person versus a feeling person, I go over all this in the book. It's not hard. It's simple. One, two, one, two, one, two, which means I got to stop. I have to look at you. I have to see you. Who are you and what's important to you? That goes beyond all the cultural diversity stuff that we're doing and women and all the issues that are outsides to deal with our insides, which means I have to see you as a person. And I will tell our listeners, it takes two, three minutes of listening. That's it. Now I know who you are. I know it's important to you and I can listen to you. So that's number one. Number two, let's do the advanced course. I hate your guts. I hate everything you stand for. I can't understand how you could vote that way, think that way, behave that way, support someone that way. And I can't get past it. So I, I, it, it's churning up in my mind. But yet you might be a coworker or a neighbor or a family member or my boss 
or my employee, which means I got to deal with you. How am I going to deal with you if I look at you and hate your guts? Here's the trick, everybody. Ask yourself one question. I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, would he pull my kid out of a burning car? 95% of the time, the answer to that will be yes. All right, there's something redeeming about you. Maybe I can speak to that. And then with whatever the comfort, the conflict is or the conversation or the political conversation, unless you're completely insane, you have a reason why you think what you think. I could disagree, but you're not an idiot. You have a reason why you take the label Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative or big picture or small picture or fill in the blank. If I want to have a relationship with you or if I just want to not hate you and have that stress and misery in my life, I want to understand where you're coming from. I don't have to agree with you. I would never connect the dots that way. I can't understand how you could think like that. But you're not an idiot. And you're a decent person that would pull my kid out of a burning car. Okay, what's redeeming there? What else can I do? That technique is a technique called paradigm shifting. And I want to give everybody another example. And this is a true story from years and years ago. Um, there is a guy sitting on a bus and he has two kids and there's a few other people on the bus and his kids are running around like wild animals. They're swinging from the bars. They whack somebody's newspaper and whack their coffee cup and it spilled on them and they're running all over the place. And you could tell the people on the bus are sort of looking at each other in commonality, nodding. What is wrong with this guy? Why won't he control his kids? How rude, how obnoxious. And then people were getting themselves worked up. The guy's looking down. All of a sudden he looks up and he sees all this judgment all around him. And he says, I'm sorry, their mother died yesterday. And I guess I just don't know what to do. Instant paradigm shift. Everybody on that bus went from hating his guts and judging him to instantly wanting to help him. I guarantee you the people that are behaving the worst are broken and bent in a lot of ways. Now, I can't fix Trump. I can't fix, you know, Gat, I can't pronounce his name, Gats, Gats, whatever that jerk is that, you know, is doing what he's doing at Congress. All of these other people, you know, they're out for attention. I can't control that. I can control my reaction to it. And I can come on your podcast and talk about purple, which I thought was a genius title for your thing. I love it. A blending of ideas. And you know what? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, when one side doesn't have all the answers and having the pendulum swing back and forth and having us test and challenge each other's ideas is what gets us to good ideas. So it's a smart move as long as the middle, we can each control our crazies. That was long answer to a short question. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I, I definitely think that is a very strong way to approach things. Um, and I will say a lot of the times there is some type of redeemable point, especially if you get new information like you're referring to, 
that can really change your perception of that individual in that moment, especially when things tend to be purely ideologically uh, different in that moment, right? Um, I will say this, uh, or I will ask this, because I see someone who asked this question. So for individuals who are not ideologically different, but those individuals who were much more apparent that they are bad people, right? Um, For example, those individuals that may, you know, go rob a store, right? And I have my own, like, idea of, like, how you're going to deal with people like this. But for the people who are listening, like, and getting the, the, the pitch from you thinking that, okay, you can connect with everybody, how would you answer these people who think, who are thinking from your perspective that, you're saying that we have to find that common point with everybody, but not everybody's a good person. Not everybody's a redeemable person. Some people are bad people. What would you say to that? Well, you know, when I was younger, when I was your age, I was much more idealistic. And I think that now I am much more realistic. And I would say there are a lot of bad people. And they may have started out, like if you find out there was a, people are bent and broken and had crappy childhoods, or they were very rich and still had really terrible childhoods. So I think people are impacted that way. And you're an adult, get your act together, you know, go get therapy. There's so many choices and options of things you can do to get yourself healthy. And at some point you have to be an adult and you have to take responsibility for yourself. So I'm very realistic with it and say, I have to also protect myself. I don't want to allow bad people in my life. If you're somebody that's got bad people in your family, they're just going to pull you down. And this is true. Fishermen will fish for crabs and they get this big old crab and they throw it in a bucket, right? And they don't want to put a lid on it because they need to have oxygen there for the crab. Well, the crab will just climb up the wall of the, you know, Homer bucket or something and climb out. Well, if they put two crabs in the bucket, one crab climbs up the wall, the other one will reach up, grab its leg and pull it down. Then the other one will climb up the wall, the other one will reach in, grab its leg and pull it down. Now the fisherman can leave the lid off, it gets plenty of air and oxygen and the crabs will stay in the bucket. Think about how sad and disgusting that is and that who in your life is a crab pulling your leg and jerking you out, swept my hand, you know, jerking you down back into the bucket. Every family has that. Every neighborhood has it. Every church or synagogue has it. Everybody's got that. And the thing is, we put up with it. So you try your best. And if you can't get that to change, you put up a boundary, a hard boundary. That says, mm, not going to let you pull me back down in the bucket. Not going to do it. I'll tell you, uh, lifeguards, someone's flailing around and drowning. Lifeguards will never approach them. And people say, what's wrong? This guy's drowning. The lifeguard's just hanging back because they're trained. That drowning person will grab onto the lifeguard and drown both of them. So they wait till the person is exhausted. They just can't move anymore. Then they scoop in. You notice the lifeguard saving technique is you scoop your arm in under their neck like this on their back and pull them because this way they can't 
drag you down so that lifeguards don't drown. So much of that is life. Now, if you can save somebody, great, rock and roll, we should try to do it. But it's just like on an airplane, put your own oxygen mask on first before somebody else's. Because if you're letting the crabs pull you down, down you're gonna go. So this holding the calm stuff is pragmatic. It's real. It's not, oh, let's all be so nice and win-win problem solving. There's no win-win to the Super Bowl, right? That's just not how it works. So if you can get people that are willing to do win-win, that is great. That is lovely. And that's, you know, 15, 20% of the time. What about the other 75 or 80%? <laughs> that's 80, 85%. That's when you got to have some tricks up your sleeve and some tools and you got to protect yourself. And my big belief, and I'll tell you this after being, you know, decades doing this already, I had a uh, manufacturer tell me something once when I was younger that annoyed the hell out of me. And I just didn't believe it was true. He told me best is the enemy of better. I said, how can that be? That's just stupid. We should all want best, right? He said, never going to get it. Best is the enemy of better. And it took me years before I actually understood that. If you try for best, you will almost always fail. If you try for better, you will succeed. And then you do it. I have a whole chapter in the book on creating small winnable victories. If you've got some big deal you're trying to do or a complicated thing, you don't hit the middle of it. You hit small winnable victories. You give power away. If I'm negotiating with you, what time do you want to start? What issues do you want to start with? When do you want to break for lunch? What music would you like to listen to? What do you think is important? All of that is unimportant stuff, but you start by giving power away. The other person is a little shocked. They don't expect that. They expect you to grab power. But who really has the power? It's the one who's willing to give it away. That's the one who's really in charge. It's, it's some pretty magical stuff. This stuff, this holding the calm stuff that I'm trying to teach people and share it, to our listeners, I'm telling you, it's like magic beans in your pocket. It, ju it just is. It's amazing stuff. Yeah, I 100% I, I think that um, there are going to be circumstances. There are going to be situations that regardless of what you do, it just there that bridge will never be mended or fixed. There, I, I've I've spoke about this a lot recently um, when I've talked to about people in terms of potential solutions that we're trying to implement. Uh, sometimes regarding relationships or maybe just a self improvement. And one thing that I keep on trying to tell people is that I don't believe you can save everybody. I'm not ignorant enough to even think that that has never crossed my mind that we're going to save everybody. But the moment you stop trying or stop attempting to kind of bridge that gap, then nothing is going to improve. It would, matter of fact, just get worse because that's going to be a trickle-down effect. You're going to try to stop attempting with uh, more and more people, and those people will probably do the same thing. So we all want improvement in a better society, and every individual has to take their own responsibility to be a part of that solution. 
and that's just the case but you never need to be the perfect you know disney princess to the point where you know you're trying to be lollipops and rainbows with every individual you meet that that's that's dumb that's very dumb um with that said i guess my 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 final question for you will be relating another type of communication Right. So a lot of these circumstances seem like are very valuable strategies, especially if you're in person or at the very least have some type of relationship. But we talked about strangers a bit and you named a lot of useful techniques in terms of current discourse, especially political discourse. But it goes beyond that social, cultural, a lot of different types of discourses. And you mentioned a little bit in terms of social media. Social media has brought a opportunity for people to kind of communicate with other individuals they'll never meet in real life. They're complete strangers and they have no feelings towards. But there's also kind of that nature of certain people, maybe the majority of people on social media, where they're invested in what is going on in terms of the discourse, but they're not meeting it as a person a lot of times they're just meeting it as you're trying to stir up trouble, the best way I could put it, right? So in, in these situations when you are when you're have confrontations with people on social media about these very, you know, controversial topics or, you know, a lot of just back and forth through text online, do you think there's a way to mediate those situations? Or do you think because it's a different type of communication online, where there's a obvious barrier between you, the person, the internet in between, that that those type of conversations just will never truly be able to get fixed unless you take it off the internet, basically. No, it can be done. It just takes a lot more work. You know, that's the problem is it just takes a lot more work. So the technique I taught about Vox, which is in the book to explain that, the technique where I said, you know this, uh, I admire you, I respect you, you know, thinking something like that. You disarm people. Bullies need you to fight them. They need you to run away and hide or be scared of them. The best way to disarm a bully is to just not allow them to be a bully. Now, again, I'm not Pollyanna. There are times someone's a real bully and you have to run away or you have to get a bigger bully to protect you on your backside, because the best defense is an offense. I'm not being Pollyanna about it at all. And if you can find a way to get your power back, it's incredibly empowering when you can turn someone and spin them. So that sentence stem stuff I started at the beginning of our podcast with, it's magic beans. It really is a magic wand uh, and works, I'd say, 80, 85% of the time. I'm going to call that good. It's okay if 10 or 15% are, you know what? You're not worth my time. I choose to not engage with you. Or I can say, that was mean. Did you intend it to sound like that? Those are the kind of things that you can say, but you can also choose to say, I'm not engaging. And, you know, I, it doesn't sound like you really want to have a solution. It just sounds like you want to beat your chest. So you can beat your chest somewhere else because I'm not going to engage with you. There's a lot of power in that too. You just have to decide how much or how little you want to do. And you learn, you know, this is what I will do. This is what I won't do. And uh, by the time you get uh, gray hair, you'll uh, have it down. That's the deal. 
All right, fair enough. Uh, someone did say here, I'm about to have mediation with a contractor and subcontractors from whom I purchased a home with obvious defects, yet they want to pretend dishonestly that the defects don't exist because, well, they simply don't want to have to pay for their mistakes. Should I compromise? If you were my mediator, can you envision telling them that they're clearly dishonest in the wrong and should pay in full? What do I say to the mediator to get him to be on my side? Well, first of all, you're probably right. They probably screwed up and they don't want to pay. So you're assessing the situation correctly. So the first question for you is, what outcome do I want to get? The chances of them saying, oh my God, you're right. I was dishonest. I was incompetent. I did a terrible job and I'm going to write you a check for the repair. Probably less than 1%, right? So the question is always the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So you look for leverage. You don't use logic, reason, and rationale. Those are the worst tools you can possibly use. So do you have any leverage with this person? Uh, is a bad review going to matter to them? Are there other clients that they have that you can you know, uh, talk about that they would lose business? Is there a licensing board? that you can file a complaint with? Is there a better business bureau you can file a complaint with? Does their kid go to school with your kid? And they're worried about how that's gonna affect the school. So you look at where else do you have power beyond just the issue at hand? So you try to do all that, all that's leverage stuff. But let's assume you have no leverage, you got nothing. Well, then you're gonna have to decide whether being right and getting no money is worth compromising and getting some money and then just moving on with your life because the stress of litigation is horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. So you can say I'm right and you're wrong and proceed, but you will also pay a price for that. So at what point can you get them to also see that you are stressful? You are not going away. You are going to use your leverage. You are going to ruin their reputation so that they'll pay you something. Then you decide whether the bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. That's a personal individual decision for each and every person. Some people are not bothered by conflict. They go, fine, I don't care. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go the gusto. Because then the other problem you have is if you've sued them, you could get a judgment, but you gotta collect on that judgment. That People don't tell you that. Just because you get a judgment, the other side doesn't say, ooh, ooh, let me just pay you. Usually they run away, they hide, and you have to now do a collection effort to get money. The amount of time and effort is exhausting, absolutely exhausting. So all of these other factors I'm giving you are things to think about in your negotiation. And if you want the mediator to see your point of view, you be honest, you be respectful, uh, you listen, you ask them for their advice and for their help. Um, and hopefully you get a good mediator. You know, sometimes you get good ones, sometimes you don't. It just depends on what you've got. But if you can get the mediator to like you and care about you, it is helpful. But if the mediator takes your side in the other room with the other guy, they're not going to get any money out of them. Because the, the guy has to feel like the mediator is neutral and is really caring about them as well. So, and this is well, one more piece. I have a whole chapter in the book called A Way Out with Dignity, where 
you know, you have to let people who screwed up have a way out with dignity. How do you do that? No one's going to say I'm incompetent and I'm a liar and I'm a thief. Sorry, that's not how it happens. So how do they get some dignity that they can walk away with? What can you do that can allow that to happen? If you do that, you'll get more money out of them. And in the end, from your question, what I'm hearing is you want to get the money to fix and repair the stuff that wasn't done right. So if that's your goal, then be clear on your goal. If your goal is not the money and it's to punish or hold accountable, you can do that too, but it'll harm you as well. So you have to just decide what your goal is and then stick to that. All right. Uh, from what it sounds like, it sounds like great advice, of course. Oh, yeah. Make sure to get her book as well to kind of read the full picture of the uh, different steps that helps with conflict resolution. But overall, these um, these techniques are definitely very valuable for a lot of people. I think they really would uh, break things down for people to kind of help navigate the situations that they are going through which is very important for a lot of people and even when it comes to social media i will say this that if even if you kind of make it as simple as possible you just before you put out that quote tweet or before you do that reply TikTok or maybe comment that nasty comment in the youtube section maybe in that situation do the simplest thing you can in that moment stop reflect think like this is worth it. So I got to do hold this. The calm. And hold the calm. <laughs> and hold the calm. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, hope you got something Liberty, of course. Y'all make sure to check out our book, of course. Like I said, all our information will be on my website on our profile. And the uh, link of her website will be in my description as well. And, and I tell people, feel free to hook up with me on uh, LinkedIn. I do all kinds of free stuff all the time on LinkedIn. And one parting fun little tip, let's say somebody's just acting nasty. You know what you can say to them? Are you okay? It shocks them. Because they people when people are nasty, they don't realize how nasty they are. They don't understand. And say, you're such a good person. I can't imagine that you would want to offend me. Was it your intention to be mean to me or to hurt me? People will retreat, backpedal, 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 backpedal. So anyway, good luck, everyone. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, this has been a great conversation per usual. Like I said before, if you want to support the podcast, go to the website, www.purplepoliticalbreakdown.com. Join the Patreon, of course. You can sign up for a tier to join the Discord where you could potentially hop in a discussion for my Monday episodes. But as always, the purpose of this podcast is to find solutions for very important issues going in society. And this is just one of those great solutions, of course. Appreciate having you on, uh, Hesha. And um, y'all have a good one. Take care and peace. We'll check it out, y'all. We got what you need. We're all living in apartments, condos, vans. Well, dude, even you can have a studio. A studio in a box. Yes, we can help you with that right here at Blind Knowledge. We work on your budget, and we figure out your measurements. We'll get you the best sound for the best price. Let me know, 877-237-1143. 
or at blindknowledge.com. Yep.